This episode is brought to you by ABC. Station 19 is back for its final and hottest season yet. Andy finally becomes captain, and she's going to give it her all to be the best leader the station has ever seen. Will she succeed? Get ready for fiery new romances and high adrenaline rescues. Watch the Station 19 season premiere tonight at a new time, 10, 9 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez, America's favorite late night talk program featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. Happy Monday to you. Welcome to the program. It's a pleasure to be here on the Westwood One Network, live and national, uh, hundreds of stations across the country, and I'm, my favorite part is you guys chiming in. So feel free to do that, 833-4-VALDEZ, 833-482-5337. So to indict or not to indict, that is the question. Will Alvin Bragg, the district attorney for New York County, the Manhattan DA, will he indict Trump or not? As of today, Bob Costello, uh, who was Rudy Giuliani's lawyer uh, and has also represented Trump, was there uh, giving testimony to the secret grand jury and lots going on. We're going to get to that a little bit later. Uh, Cash Patel is scheduled to join us a little bit later to talk us through uh, his analysis of what is going on. Uh, all I could say is this is pretty simple. There's a gentleman running for president who's a candidate for president of the United States. He's a, actually a former president of the United States, president emeritus, if you will. And he paid his lawyer back money that his lawyer paid to an individual as part of a non-disclosure agreement, which everybody seems to be caught up on this hush money thing, but Whatever it was, it was, a, it was a, a settlement and it was paid. And the case that they're making is that this, in fact, was a crime because, well, it was a crime because he was paying this person to be quiet, not because of potential embarrassment from his family or trying to keep personal matters private. No, no, no. That would be legal. The reason that he did it was to influence the outcome of the 2016 election. This is what they're alleging, and that that is somehow election interference. Yeah, you couldn't make this up if you tried. Anyway, we're going to get to that with Cash Patel, and we're going to dig in deep. Um, we're also going to talk about what is going on with President Xi, the president of China, the uh, People's Republic of China, the chi head of the Chinese Communist Party, the CCP, visiting his homie, Vladimir, Vladimir Putin. And uh, looks like they're very cozy over there. It's like a communist convention in Moscow. We're going to talk about that in a little bit as well with Gordon Chang, who's going to be joining us uh, in the next hour. And, of course, uh, we're going to talk about, you know, what's going on straight across middle America 
and a lot of other things as well and your opinions on all of that. But I want to start off with a story about the World Baseball Classic. Now, you you know that I'm not a sports guy, right? I really, I, gun to my head, I'm not a sports guy. It's not that I don't like it. I just, I've never gotten it. I've never done it. A little UFC, a little boxing, sure. But um, baseball, football, basketball just was never my thing. So it, it's surprising to even me that I've been watching some of these games. Basically, some of the guys I see at, you know, my local Cuban restaurant, they're always watching the game and they're like, oh yeah, and they're, you know, going back and forth. And it's funny because over the weekend, uh, one of the, um, uh, the owner of the Cuban place, he was telling me, he's like, you know, if I were in Miami, which is where they're holding the world baseball classic, I would, um, you know, he said, I, I would get the best seats possible where I know the camera is going to be focused and I would put the most insulting things towards the communist regime in Cuba. And I laughed and he laughed and whatever. And lo and behold, this weekend that happens, right? There's a bunch of people that are right behind home plate and they're busting out these banners that say, you know, uh, con la dictadura, down with the dictatorship. And, you know, just disparaging the communist movement in Cuba, which I thought was terrific. And at one point, the crowd is in unison. I don't know, whatever that place fits, several thousand people. They're all chanting the word liberty in Spanish. Libertad, libertad. I mean, it was almost like reminiscent of the beginning of the movie Scarface. But it was terrific. And then a few people run out there with other banners onto the, onto the, um, onto the field. And it was really, I just thought, a, a rather inspiring moment to see how many, so many people that weren't born in this country absolutely love this country, and and were there, you know, defending the country and and cheering on Team USA because the game was between Cuba and Team USA, and being that. It was um, a game in Miami. Uh, I couldn't help but think of, you know, the response that Governor DeSantis had. Uh, And we'll get to that audio a little bit later. But basically, just to give you a a tidbit on that, uh, Governor DeSantis made a statement today with respect to what is happening with this Manhattan district attorney who's coming after Donald Trump, apparently because He's with the party that they don't like. You know, I mean, I think if Trump was a progressive Democrat, I don't think they'd bother him. But they bother him because he's a somewhat conservative Republican. And that's not good for them. It's not enough. But he uh, he made some comments today and basically uh, alluding to the fact that the district attorney's office in New York City is one that has been weaponized by a George Soros hired or appointed prosecutor. And and that's true. Mr. Bragg is very, uh, this is the guy that, you know, refuses to put anybody in jail and refuses to, in effect, to do his job. So I think that's pretty interesting. Uh, we also have uh, some audio, probably won't get to it just now, but we'll get to it shortly, of uh, Kevin McCarthy, uh, Speaker McCarthy. And again, I think he's been incredibly solid, right? I really do. I think he's uh, been out there doing what he's got to do. Um, in my opinion, he hasn't, um, he hasn't missed a beat in, with respect to, you know, doing what he said he was going to do. But McCarthy's at a press conference today, and he says people shouldn't protest uh, because, you know, he thinks it, it could lead to, uh, you know, bigger, more dangerous things getting set up by, you know, corrupt individuals, whatever and whatnot. And I guess that's a legitimate concern. You know, when we've talked with some of the people that were participating at the 
uh, Save America rally on January 6th and then walked over to the Capitol to let their voices be peacefully and periodically heard, they got arrested because, you know, some bad apples were apparently spoiling the whole bunch. So I think that's uh, what McCarthy's talking about. But there's a group of people who I hold near and dear to my heart, the New York Young Republican Club. Well, they were out there in New York City and they were turning things upside down and, uh, they did a great job. I mean, it was an excellent showing. So we're going to try and catch up with the president of the New York City Young Republican Club uh, in a little bit as well. Uh, but I want to bring in our buddy Cash Patel because Cash Patel, you know, he was the um, the main lawyer, the national security advisor and the main lawyer on the House Intelligence Committee when Devin Nunes was chair. And this is during the time of the Nunes memo. And he was also the chief of staff at the Department of Defense at the Pentagon. So uh, Cash Patel is a former federal prosecutor that brings in a lot of experience. And um, and he's going to be weighing in on this, presuming that, you know, he wasn't called to some big meeting, uh, you know, with El Trumpito, then all this Magnus, the 45th president of these United States. So we're going to check in with him momentarily. If not, you're going to check in with me. <laughs> but either way, we're going to continue that discussion on Trump and his uh, looming anticipated indictment. Don't go anywhere. Keep it locked right here. I am Rich Valdez. You're listening to America at Night. This is America Night with Rich Valdez. I want to listen to you, Rich, all the time. America at Night with Rich Valdez. Final point is his um, language in that Truth Social where he stays just on this side of the law by saying you should protest. Of course, everyone has a constitutional right to protest um, peacefully. Um, the language, take our nation back, it's a little closer to the line. And it's notable to me that he did not say um, you should protest peacefully. Um, it was it was mm. sort of conspicuous that he left that word out, even though, as we all know, on January 6th, he did throw that word in, um, which gave him some uh, some potential legal cover. But he didn't do that here. All right. So that's some audio of Andrew Weissman. You know him. He's like the sleaze of the earth. Right? There's the sleaze of the earth. And then there's Andrew Weissman. And this, these were his comments on MSNBC uh, yesterday. And I thought it was it was just fascinating to me how there's so much to talk about. But he wants to focus on the lack of the word peacefully. But yet when there was the word peacefully, they omitted it with their former ABC News producer when they had their hearings. You can't make this stuff up. I want you to welcome uh, our guest, former national security advisor to the House Intelligence Committee and the author of the brand new book, Government Gangsters. You could get a copy, get two at governmentgangsters.com. Cash Patel, welcome to the program, sir. Hey, Rich, it's great to be back with you. Yes, sir. Good seeing you at CPAC. Um, lamentably, yeah. you're, you're probably really busy now with uh, all of this <laughs> uh, anticipated Trump indictment stuff, right? So l first of all, let's get your reaction to Andrew Weissman saying uh, it's so conspicuous that former President Trump leaves out the word peacefully uh, from his call for protests. <laughs> Only in Donald Trump's genius could he get his enemies to admit the truth finally. And Andrew exactly. Weissman, the most overturned federal prosecutors by the United States Supreme Court, 
in DOJ history, this guy was literally called out by the Supreme Court of the United States for taking on prosecutions and violating the code of ethics and unlawfully bringing things um, to the court's attention that he knew to be false just to secure a conviction. Mueller's pit bull, Comey's lackey. That's the guy that CNBC employs now who's saying, oh, Donald Trump did say peacefully on January 6th. Of course he did. It was in black and white. But no president or no American citizen should ever have to define that he says protest, which is a constitutional right, has to be an adjective added to that because it's Donald Trump. It's, it's ridiculous on its face. People call for protest in D.C. every single day. No one says peacefully or otherwise. And certainly Donald Trump is not insinuating to utilize violence of any kind. He's saying stand up for the Constitution and take our nation back. There is nothing violent uh, about that at all. The only thing violent is Andrew Weissman's continued insanity and MSNBC's continued compliance in this conspiracy. Well put, Cash Patel. And I want to I want you to help. uh, I mean, you're a former federal prosecutor, former Pentagon (laughs) chief of staff. And I want people to understand the breadth of your of your experience. And from from that purview, I'm hoping you could help everybody understand the how thin or how flimsy um, or weightless this this claim against Trump is. In fact, it's like an untested legal theory. Is that right? Yeah. And as a former public defender who defended a lot of these types of cases, that might be a little more credence to the to the position. But instead of arguing the case for Donald Trump. Let me highlight the facts and the law that have been established by the Department of Justice. Under Hillary Clinton, who spent hundreds of thousands of campaign finance dollars to purchase the dirty seal dossier, which the which the FBI utilized to lie to a federal court and unlawfully surveil President Trump. Remember, the DOJ refused to prosecute her when she labeled those funds legal fees. Now, let's just say for argument's sake that that's what Donald Trump is being accused of. And why wouldn't the same set of precedent and law at DOJ be followed here? It actually was. DOJ refused to prosecute Donald Trump. So what do you do? You get Soros to hire a prosecutor to go after Trump because everybody else has tried and failed and come up with a new legal fiction, because that's what it is. It's a fiction um, to get Trump. And what does Trump geniusly do? He goes on offense on Saturday and puts the entire state of New York's judicial system and prosecutorial office on defense. And now they are literally retreating. I'm not sure what's going to happen tomorrow, but America is seeing the two tier system of justice. And I think that's the biggest takeaway from it all. hundred percent. And I think, you know, uh, the political aspect of it, you really laid it out uh, really, really well. But now from the legal perspective, um, this is a you and me or anybody else could could have an NDA and and pay someone a settlement and uh, expect them to to not violate this NDA. But apparently Mm -hmm. if Trump is doing it, it's somehow (laughs) wrong because he's running for president and he's doing this with the intent of influencing the 2016 election. Did I get it right? That if their if their version of history is correct, which, of course, it's not. And let's just dive a little deeper into it from a prosecutorial perspective. Remember, Mm -hmm. It's not Alvin Bragg who decides whether or not to charge Donald Trump. He's, of course, bringing the case to the grand jury. The star witness in front of the grand jury for Alvin Bragg (laughs) is a convicted federal felon who spent three years in prison for, guess what? 
lying, lying. and defrauding American people. <laughs> then they put in a witness today who has no criminal history and basically said what you just said, that everything Donald Trump did was above board and Michael Cohen's a liar. He actually is a convicted liar. Now, I don't expect a New York City jury to go along with the actual facts and law. They'll probably side with Alvin Bragg. But to me, that highlights a more important point. If and when Trump is charged, the amount of evidence that's going to come out that exonerates President Trump, it's going to be like Russiagate all over again. We're out of shift. And his sidekick, Fang Fang Swalwell, tried to take out Trump, except we put out the truth. <laughs> this time, even more people are watching with the history lesson that the mainstream media has continuously lied to them. And I think that's an opportunity for us to educate people on how to restore our system of justice and how Alvin Bragg is destroying our home, my hometown of New York while, by allowing the actual crimes to skyrocket of murder, rape, robbery, child's victim crimes sex assaults and drug drug charges running amok. But let's not get let that get in the way of, of prosecuting Donald Trump falsely. Yeah. And folks, we're on with Cash Patel. Uh, he's the author of Government Gangsters. Uh, you can pre-order your copy now at governmentgangsters.com. Now, Cash Patel, I know that um, Trump seems to not be sweating this. Uh, like you said, he went on offense saying, hey, they're going to take me out in handcuffs. They're going to do I'm sure he's been fundraising. I'm sure he's gotten people rallied up. As a matter of fact, I know the New York Young Republican Club and others were, were out there kind of in full force with, uh, with a very, very peaceful protest today with lots of media attention on that. Uh, but what, what do you think, uh, and if we don't get to all of it, we'll come back in the next segment, but what do you think is, is the next step? What can we expect here if, they, if, if there is um, an indictment and an arraignment? Will it be done virtually? Will it be done in person? Um, if there's a conviction, what, what happens? What does it look like? If they do bring this case, they're going to try to make it as much of a Hollywood theater show as they possibly can, like they do with everybody, with everything else. Russiagate, impeachment one, impeachment two, Jan six, what have you, insert every false uh, narrative they tried to get with Donald Trump, get him to take him out. And um, they need Hollywood and the mainstream media's help. So I would look for that. And the other details we can get in on the other side. I know you got to get to a commercial break. Yeah, perfect. All right, folks, Cash Patel, make sure you check out his book, Government Gangsters. Uh, it's scheduled to come out in June, so you want to pre-order that now, governmentgangsters.com. Also, I want to give you the phone number if you want to chime in and you want to get your questions uh, in the queue. The phone number is 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ, 833-4-VALDEZ. Now, as we uh, set the stage for what we're about to talk about, because uh, I'm looking forward to Cash Patel walking us through this uh, this um, hypothetical on what ends up happening. Uh, to me, I think one of the big takeaways that we can't forget here is that we really don't live, or at least I hope we don't live, in a banana republic where we do this type of thing. But it seems like we're getting dangerously close each day or closer and closer each day to a situation where we're literally using law enforcement to silence political enemies. And I think a lot of people are going along with it because they're like, well, that's just against Trump. We wouldn't do that to anybody else. And I think that's that's something people are uh, overlooking, whether you like Trump or not. So we're going to get into that with Cash Patel. Check out governmentgangsters.com. We'll be right back. I'm Rich Valdez.
Named one of the best personal finance podcasts, The Stacking Benjamin Show with Joe and his friends makes financial literacy fun. I got an email today from the LenPenzo.com HR department. I find oh. it really interesting. I'm an employee of one at this company, so but somebody from the HR department sent me an email telling me that I had a raise. If I just opened the attachment, I could see how much my raise was. Make sure you click on the links that are in there, too. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah, I can't wait. This is I'm excited. Find out more by searching the Stacking Benjamins podcast wherever you listen. Welcome to Talkville, the ultimate Smallville rewatch podcast. Title Transference aired October 27, 2004. Director James Marshall, writers Todd Slavkin, Darren Swimmer. I really like this episode, and I'm surprised that you don't like it as much as you thought you did. I actually respect your opinion more than I respect my own in general. (laughs) (laughs) When you say things are good and I check them out, they are. Jump in now or catch up on any of the past seasons of Talkville on YouTube or wherever you listen. America. Welcome back. It's Rich Valdez. And again, our phone number 833-4-VALDEZ. If you want to chime in on the national conversation, our guest is Cash Patel, former national security advisor to the House Intelligence Committee. He's the author of Government Gangsters. You can check that out at governmentgangsters.com. I always say, try to pick up two books because, you know, you get one for yourself and you get one to give away. And uh, you want to pre-order those because that book is coming out and it's going to sell very quickly. Now, Cash Patel, right before the break, we talked about, you know, uh, hypothetically what you think would pan out, how this how this plays out in terms of, you know, Trump getting indicted, getting arraigned. Is it virtual? Is it live? Um, Do they perp walk him? Do they not? Do they handcuff him? Do they not? Does he, you know, when he takes his mug shot, is he going to lift up his thumb and smile or does he give a gangster look? I'm so curious. I'm wondering how this plays out. Yeah, it's great to be back with you, Rich. Look, it's impossible to predict because if we were in a state where we actually had a uniform system of justice that acted on law and facts, we wouldn't even be having this conversation. And if we had a New York State Attorney General's office that applied those law and facts, even to situations that were so heavily politicized, there would be no perp walk. There would be no handcuffs. There would be no booking photo because he's a former president of the United States. They would simply do it via Zoom because apparently that was the law of the land when the China virus was running around. But of course, now they want everyone maskless and, and they probably want to do what they did to Roger Stone to Donald Trump. Now, of course, that's the extreme extreme. They're not going to be able to do that, but they want to make it as close to that as possible to vilify him using their corporate media scoundrels. Um, and to get promote fake news headlines um, that basically are tantamount to the gotcha moment they've always been looking for, but the one they've always missed because they never actually report truthfully. So I think we can expect more of that if he is, in fact, charged tomorrow. Now, um, and again, I know I'm not going to hold you to any of these things, but I'm really curious. What do you think the over-under is on him actually getting charged tomorrow? Or does, you know, him going on offense really mess them up because they were close, but they were vacillating. They were on the fence. And now they're, they're you know, they're shaking trees and interviewing Bob Costello. And they're finding out this isn't really working. We've got this one guy who's a convicted felon for lying. We have this other woman who's a, a porn star. Um, it, it doesn't seem to me like they have the best um, witnesses available. So, you know, do they say, you know what, we wanted to do this, but we don't think we're going to win, so we're going to hold off? You know, if you asked me last week, I would say it's pretty pretty high, above 80 
If you ask me after Donald Trump went on offense, I think it's down to a coin toss, 50-50. And I'll yeah. tell you why. Because of the reasons you listed, plus the Democrats and the leadership of the Democratic Party machine is saying quietly, don't bring this charge. They're saying what Elon Musk is saying publicly, that Donald Trump will win in a landslide if you charge him with this because mm-hmm. it will expose the two-tier system of justice, the weaponization of the FBI, DOJ, and state law enforcement communities has sunk in from D.C. to every sector of our community. And people are going to relate to the fact that they don't want their parents, their friends, their neighbors, their uncles, their aunts, their sisters and brothers charged because of who they voted for at the ballot box or what they posted on Truth Social about America first. They want a uniform system of justice. And I think that this will backfire not just politically, but it will backfire through a large voting base that has been misled by the media through their lies, and we will be able to galvanize that support for 2024. You know, Cash Patel, I think I think you're onto something here, and I do believe that this is going to be, in many ways, a referendum on the media. I think pe- the me- we're going to find out how strong the media is. Do people really buy this stuff? Do they really mm-hmm. hate Trump as much as they're telling you to hate Trump? Uh, obviously, there's a contingent of people, especially in Manhattan, that that can hate Trump and they can hate all things that you and I be- might believe in. But I think uh, by and large, this is a big country. And um, and those are the people that get to vote for president. And when they do. The, the, the funny thing is not to cut you off. The funny thing is sure. the contingent of people in Manhattan that now hate Trump love him for the pr- previous right, 70 forever. years. <laughs> right. 100 percent. I was telling that to my kids the other day uh, because, yeah, again, you know, growing up in New York, I was telling them, you know, Trump had this great line about when he had a bankruptcy years ago. And he said, you know, if you think being a billionaire, becoming a billionaire is tough, try doing it twice. <laughs> and I thought, man, <laughs> I, want, I, want, I want to be like that guy when I grow up, <laughs> you know, oh, yeah. and this was before there was political aspiration or whatever. But he was always like this icon in New York. And everybody liked him, every rapper, every everything. And, you know, it's fascinating now. He's like this pariah and, and it just it, it blows me away. But I realize these are isolated to places like San Francisco and New York and people that are hardline yeah. on, uh, you know, leftists. And I think mm-hmm. m- many people are going to look at this and say, I don't even like Trump, but this is wrong. And, and I think this is where you see that backfire. I guess the question really becomes how big of a sliver that is. And uh, and do do people really, you know, become emboldened and say, you know what, my, I'm, I'm voting for Trump because he represents the little guy, the one that's getting, you know, silenced and and, and crapped upon, for lack of a better word, uh, by by those that have power, because clearly he's not part of the power establishment. He's the one they're trying to put in jail. Exactly. And I think it's reminiscent of 2015 when he came down the elevator and you've seen his substantive truth social posting on everything from the border to education to China to Iran to keeping men in men's sport and out of women's sports. These simple beliefs in America and how to protect America and put American first are resonating with Americans because Biden has failed for the last two years. And America has seen what Donald Trump did in the four previous to that. So he has an advantage there politically, not just to say, oh, please elect me and I promise I'll do it. Elect me and I'll do what I did once. I'll do it again and I'll undo what Biden did. And on top of that, you have this surging uh, electorate going to other bases for their education, for their media, not the CNNs and MSNBCs of the world because they know they were lied to in Russiagate, in Ukraine impeachment one, two, Jan 6, and any other scandal, I'm using quote marks, that Donald Trump was falsely <laughs> portrayed to have led or, or, or ran. So I think people are hip to it. 
And I think, you know, the, I'm not the political genius, but I've always said, and this is what's a large portion of my book, Government Gangsters, is about, is that when, ele- when unelected officials hijack the system of justice and law enforcement and intel for their own personal political needs, that is the ultimate destruction of America. And that, in an essence, is what Donald Trump is going to defeat. And I think that that movement is so big and so far and wide. And of course, it doesn't exist in San Francisco, New York, and D.C., where the crime is skyrocketing and the residents of those cities could care less, which shows you the hypocrisy of their position. But all across the rest of America, they don't want Chinese fentanyl in the streets or in our schools. They want our youth to mm-hmm. succeed and live great lives, and they don't want people killed from uh, illegals crossing the border and drugs. And they don't want to be ruined on the world stage by China and Russia. These are things Donald Trump talks about, how he will defeat them, how he will put America first. That theme, it's just front and center. And if and when Donald Trump gets charged with this bogus slate of offenses, America's going to galvanize around putting Donald Trump back in the office in 2024 to do just that, put America first. Outstanding, Cash Patel. Let everybody know a quick tidbit about government gangsters and, and, and the angle you took in this book. No, I will. I'll just borrow from President Trump, who was kind enough to pre-launch it on Truth Social. He called it the blueprint to taking back the White House in 2024 and how we take back our DOJ, FBI, DOD, CIA, and other government agencies to serve us, the American people, and not be weaponized and politicized. And it starts with personnel, and it goes to budgeting, and then it goes to, of course, putting Donald Trump back in office. Governmentgangsters.com. Specialized autograph versions there for anyone who wants. I'll even draw a cartoon character in there if you pay me enough. No kidding. Just go to governmentgangsters.com. And Rich, we're, of course, going to be sending you an autograph copy for free. Thanks for all the support for the oh, book. It's going to go uh, hopefully high. Fantastic. Well, folks, get, get a couple of copies of the book, Government Gangsters. Uh, check out the website, governmentgangsters.com. Cash Patel is terrific. And uh, we'll keep in touch with you, Cash, and keep uh, up to speed with everything that's going on with the book and with everything else that you're up to. Keep up the good work, bro. Thank you. Great talking to you. Have a good show. Likewise. Thanks, man. All right, folks, more to come straight ahead. Your calls and more. We're also going to touch base with, um, I think we're going to connect with uh, Gavin Wax from the New York City Young Republican Club, who uh, held a protest today. And guess what? It was peaceful. Don't go anywhere. Don't move a muscle. I'm Rich Valdez. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. for everything i know you very well and i have i listen but i have a lot of people that listen and they love your show and i appreciate it very much america at night with rich valdez i don't think people should protest this no and i i I think president trump if you talk to him he doesn't believe that either i mean i think i think the thing that you may misinterpret when the when president trump talks when someone says that they can protest he would probably be referring to my tweet educate people about what's going on he's not talking in a harmful way and nobody should nobody should harm one another in this and this is why you should really make law equal because if that was the case nothing would happen here all right that's speaker of the house kevin mccarthy saying uh don't protest it but it seems he's using the word protest 
uh, synonymously with some sort of violence saying don't hurt people. <laughs> I don't I can't remember the last time a real peaceful protest actually hurt somebody. But there's headlines out there today uh, where Trump supporters rallied in Manhattan after the former president claimed he would be arrested. Uh, these were very peaceful protests. And uh, the New York Young Republican Club held a, a great, wonderful, peaceful protest. I saw some media coverage of it, and I said, you know what, we got to get Gavin Wax on the phone. He's the president at the New York City Young Republican Club, and he's with us right now. Gavin Wax, welcome. Thank you for having me, Rich. Great to be on. You bet, brother. So uh, tell us a little bit about what happened today, uh, how you organized this, what the outcome was, and what you experienced. Uh, look, it was a last-minute thing. Uh, we put it together in 24 hours. You know, there was a lot of hesitancy to do it. Uh, people were obviously concerned for a variety of reasons, but we felt it was important uh, to make a stand here in Manhattan and uh, let our voices be heard. And we were able to do that uh, in a effective, uh, peaceful, and professional way. And I think now uh, a lot of people in the press and in the media uh, were very upset to see it go off without a hitch, and now they're trying to, you know, change the narrative and and attack the event and the, and the protest and all this. And, you know, oh, it only had X number of people. We expected thousands. And it's, you know, we, we did what we needed to do. And uh, I think we got the message across uh, loud and clear. Uh, we had a lot of press there. We had about 100 uh, protesters. And uh, we were very happy uh, with the result. And uh, we hope that other patriots across the country could do the same. Now, with respect to Speaker McCarthy's uh, comment, uh, do you feel that his... Um comment saying, you know, let's let's not protest. And it seemed like he was saying, let's not fight. Uh, but I think protest is um, what we should be doing. What's your thought on what's your reaction to what he said? Yeah, Rich, I agree with you. I think uh, I think he's interpreting uh, the terminology in a certain way. Uh, but I think uh, at the end of the day, uh, we demonstrated that uh, you could uh, gather and peacefully assemble and, and rally and there would be no violence. There's no chaos. Uh, it was a very orderly, structured event, and uh, we got our message across uh, to the dozens of media outlets there. And uh, I think this is a model and a template uh, that other organizations across the country can use. We did a very good job vetting the crowd and making sure we knew who was going to be there and keeping it a tighter, smaller group. And I think, you know, we sacrificed the scale, but we got uh, we got the peace of mind that comes with it. And I think uh, under those circumstances, I think the speaker would be aligned with what we did. Yeah, I would have to think that's true, too. And, and I think a lot of it is just, you know, CYA. You know, when you work in the government, you learn to, to do a lot of CYA. And it's just part of being, you know, in the swamp. I think, you know, it gets to him after a while. So I'll give him a pass on that one. Now, let's talk about... Um, I, I saw some great pictures. You're out there with Vish Bura and, and Kevin Smith and a b- bunch of great activists that are really out there, you know, kicking butt, taking names. And, and it's great to see the energy coming out of the club. Let's talk a little bit about, you know, some of the other things that the club is doing and how you're making an impact in New York City. Absolutely. I mean, we are the oldest and largest club in the country. We have over 1,200 dues-paying members. Uh, We cover the metro area. We have a series of uh, speaker events, socials. Uh, Every month we do political activism like what we did today. And uh, we also do, you know, canvassing, door knocking, petitioning for, you know, mutual friends of ours, such as uh, Councilman Vicky Palladino. Uh, So we're a multifaceted organization and uh, we check all the boxes and we don't just cater to one or the other. We try to do everything. And uh, we've been doing, I think, a good job uh, with the growth we've seen. Uh, You've been to some of our galas 
over the years. Uh, our annual galas get a 600-person black tie affair here in Manhattan. Uh, so we like to check a lot of these boxes. And uh, we're a growing force, I think, to be reckoned with. And uh, we're leading the charge uh, for the youth movement uh, for conservatives, not only in the metropolitan area, but I think the country as a whole. And we were very happy and proud to be the first organization to step up, answer the president's call, and organize a peaceful uh, protest today. And uh, we'll continue to be uh, leading the charge on that front. And you did a great job with it. Now, put your uh, political uh, analyst hat on for a second and tell me what you think of this um, this this case. Uh, you know, if you were if you had to handicap this thing, what do you say? Are they perp walking Trump? Are they not? Is it going to be virtual? Does he self surrender, you know, in real life? What do you think that's going to look like? I think uh, I think the president was smart to come out early with it and kind of, you know, put it in his own terms and frame it because now they're kind of caught off guard and they're sort of responding uh, to his narrative formation. I think they probably wanted this to be a surprise. They probably wanted to do the full, you know, uh, the full, you know, 10 yard thing. You know, we're going to do the the, uh, the perp walk. We're going to do the cuffs. We're going to do the mug shot. So now I think they may be forced to roll it back a bit because pressure has mounted. Um, but look, let's see what they have. I think this is a case that uh, the, the predecessor uh, to Alvin Bragg refused to prosecute, uh, where federal prosecutors refused to move on it. Uh, and it's probably past the statute of limitations. So I think uh, they're up against a wall and they can either try to use it for some cheap political points or it you know, falls by the wayside. And I think Trump played a bit of 4G chess here by coming out and hitting them on it. And uh, now they're forced to react to him. And it looks like now they're probably going to delay it by a week while they scramble to figure out what they want to do. So uh, I think it's a win-win for him. If they yeah. you know, walk away and they don't do it, uh, he you know, obviously he doesn't have to deal with this headache. And if they do do it, you know, he, it's still a win because he'll be a martyr and uh, he'll clearly be the, the, the front runner in the, the primary and I think in the general. So I think they really overplayed their hand here. And he has been uh, masterfully uh, taking advantage of that. Gavin Wax, let everybody know how they could learn more about the club, learn more about you. Well, Rich, thank you for having me on. It's always great to be uh, speaking with you. And you can follow me at Gavin Wax. That's Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and all the rest. And you can follow the club at NYYRC. We're the oldest and largest uh, young Republican club in the country. We'd love to have you guys join. This guy's outstanding. Make sure you follow him. Give him some support. Gavin Wax, thanks for joining us, brother. Thank you, sir. Have a good one. You bet. All right, folks, more to come straight ahead. Your calls, more analysis uh, and a little bit of handicapping on what's going on. And uh, I'm going to get into that story about the two Cuban guys that were playing ball and have defected uh, to the United States straight ahead. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. So this Cuban baseball player, he escaped from the Miami hotel where they were staying after a 14-2 loss to Team USA to become the first defector at the World Baseball Classic. The communist regime dismisses the bullpen catcher as a deserter uh, amid uh, expatriates protesting this. Now, the bullpen catcher for Cuba's national baseball team has defected to the U.S. His name, Ivan Prieto. And Mr. Prieto escaped from Team Cuba uh, before the return flight back to Havana. 
and uh, and again, he was then joined by another one. I just I'm not I don't see the name here, but I understand there's two of these defectors as of now. And again, I got to say, it warms my heart. I'm glad that they're defecting. I'm, I'm happy that they did. Uh, because the Cubans that I was watching the game with at, at the Cuban restaurant were saying, you know, they were like, we're rooting on Puerto Rico. We're rooting on the United States. And they're like, we would love to root on uh, our own team and cheer on our own team of Cuba. But we can't because these guys are all shills for the Communist Party. And that's who they're here to represent. And that those are the only ones that get picked to represent Cuba uh, abroad uh, unless they prove themselves like this, you know, by defecting. So it was interesting to see that. And uh, it was sad to see that, you know, they, they couldn't really support their country the way they wanted to, but they were super proud that people were, you know, still fighting and hanging these banners and whatnot. And I got to say, I'm moved by that stuff too. It, it, it's always um, moving in my opinion to see people that care about liberty, that care about the American experiment, that care about the American dream, especially people that weren't born here. And, you know, they have that much more value for it. Anyway, straight ahead, we're going to continue our conversation. What is going on with Xi Jinping and the Chinese Communist Party and their visit to Moscow with Russian President Vladimir Putin? All of that straight ahead with Gordon Chang. Don't go anywhere. It's Rich Valdez. And this is America at Night. Hi there. Sorry for the interruption, but are you enjoying this show on Google Podcasts? You should know that the Google Podcasts app is going away this spring. That's right, going away, gone as in no longer available. You can still enjoy this show elsewhere, though. Try out Spotify or Amazon Music, or maybe TuneIn is more your style. Whatever app you switch to, be sure to follow so you never miss the next episode. And thanks for listening wherever you listen. From the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez. America's favorite late night talk program. Featuring interesting guests from around the world. And calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. Happy Monday to you. Welcome to the program. It's a pleasure to be here on the Westwood One Network, live and national, uh, hundreds of stations across the country, and I'm, my favorite part is you guys chiming in. So feel free to do that, 833-4-VALDEZ, 833-482-5337. And I want to... Uh, let you hear a little bit from uh, Secretary of State Anthony Blinken, who was commenting today on the visit of Chinese President, uh, the head of the Chinese Communist Party, Xi Jinping, and his meeting with Vladimir Putin of Russia. Listen to this. Calling for a ceasefire that does not include the removal of Russian forces from Ukrainian territory would effectively be supporting the ratification of Russian conquest. It would recognize Russia's attempts to seize the sovereign neighbor's territory by force. It would enable Russia to further entrench positions in Ukraine. And a ceasefire now 
without a durable solution would allow President Putin to rest and refit his troops and then restart the war at a time more advantageous to Russia. So Blinken is positing that this would be advantageous for Russia, a ceasefire that would benefit them. I think, uh, and that may be true, but my thinking here is that this is uh, China looking to take as much airtime on the world stage as the new leader of the free world because of the fecklessness and inactivity and inaction of the Biden administration. And that's unfortunate because I think if smaller countries that are, you know, more necessitated countries uh, that look at China and say, well, you know, you used to be the U.S., but, you know, if you guys are the new guy on the block, then I guess we'll follow you. This whole world is in bad shape if people are going to be following China. Now, our guest, Gordon Chang, he's the author of The Great U.S.-China Tech War and the Coming Collapse of China. He's an expert on China and Asia as a whole. He's a gentleman. He's a scholar. And he's with us right now. Gordon Chang, welcome to the program, sir. Well, thank you so much, Rich. My pleasure. So let's talk a little bit about this. What do you think, what do you make of this uh, ceasefire that Blinken was referring to? I think the Secretary of State, for once in his life, is actually correct. Because really what China is doing is to support its um, no-limits partner, that's Russia. Mm-hmm. And indeed, at this point, many military analysts think that Ukraine has the military advantage on the battlefield. Now, that may not last, but at least it is true now, which means that a ceasefire is going to help the other party, which is Russia. Remember, um, Putin actually likes the ceasefire plan, and I think that gives a pretty good hint as to Xi Jinping's motivations for proposing it. So, again, my my theory, and again, I'm not an expert on the region like you are, but I look at this and I think the United States needs to and has needed to get involved at a different level a long time ago, you know, in a, in a, in a more leadership capacity where we're taking things on saying, Hey, look, you, you stop this, do this, do that, you know, really just being involved instead of being a, almost like an active participant on the sidelines, which I feel like Joe Biden's been. And, and to me, this has really given rise to China stepping in and saying, you know, Hey, look, we're the new guy on the block. We're, we're really leading here. We're trying to get these guys to the table. We're it. And, uh, I don't know if I'm alone in that thinking, uh, if I'm right in that thinking, but what's your take on that? I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, there's two instances that people are talking about. There's the China-brokered Iran-Saudi Arabia deal, and that is um, that came into being um, precisely because Joe Biden left the field. What he did was he criticized um, the Saudi kingdom, um, and he tried to make it a pariah, as he said, to isolate it. And so uh, Mohammed bin Salman, the crown prince, MBS, actually said, okay, um, I'm going to shut you out. And and that's exactly what happened. And when Biden was shut out, China came in, there was a vacuum, and it brokered a deal. Now, Xi Jinping is trying to do the same thing in Ukraine. It's going to be a lot different, essentially because neither the Russians nor the Ukrainians want to stop fighting. Um, for reasons that are different. Both of them see that it's to their advantage to keep on the battlefield. So I think China is not going to have a success this time. But clearly, you're right. Um, China is able to try to play the mediator role because the United States, for various reasons, is is not doing that. 
So when we have a situation where um, clearly Xi Jinping is there saying, hey, look, I'm going to call for a ceasefire and he's he's acting like the big guy on the block. Uh, what is that really what he's there for? Or are those just byproducts of something larger that's at play here that they're aiming for? My guess is there are a couple things going on here. One of them is what you had just mentioned before, which is to try to take a dominant role in the image in in the public eye. And the second thing is really to help uh, Vladimir Putin, who right now could use a lot of assistance, um, especially because we're seeing um, Ukraine um, actually do fairly well um, in the war. But Xi Jinping is not going to let Vladimir Putin lose. um, And right now, Biden is not looking for victory in Ukraine. It appears that really what he wants to do is manage the situation. And that is not a good thing for Ukraine. It's not a good thing for the United States or the free world. And so therefore, Russia's still in the fight. If Biden wanted to, he could end this with a victory. But uh, clearly, that's not what he's thinking right now. Yeah, it doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Uh, I mean, it makes a lot of sense for China to do what they're doing. It doesn't make sense to me why Biden takes this back seat. Uh, which opens up so many different conversations. Uh, folks, we're on with Gordon Chang. He's uh, he's the author of The Coming Collapse of China, and he's just terrific on this topic. And I want to talk a little bit about uh, more on what you mentioned with, with uh, MBS and and the role where that China's playing in the Middle East, uh, in effect, not only pushing us off the world stage with Russia, but also kind of pushing us out in the Middle East as well. And I want to do that straight ahead, folks. Don't go anywhere. It's Gordon Chang, Rich Valdez, America at Night. Don't go anywhere. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. It's been about a week since President Biden said he was going to speak to President Xi soon. Is that call been scheduled yet, John? It hasn't been scheduled, Caitlin, but the president uh, very much wants to have another conversation with President Xi. It's really important that we keep these lines of communication open between the United States and China, the most consequential bilateral relationship in the world. president wants to keep those lines open. We'll do that. And he'll have a call with President Xi at the appropriate time. What is the appropriate time? Because he said back in mid-February, after the U.S. downed that surveillance balloon, that he would speak to him soon. He said last week he'd speak to him soon. So as the U.S. tried to schedule the call and the Chinese have been unwilling or what's going on here? No, there's there's been no logistics. There's been no uh, there's been no setting it up. Uh, we uh, we maintain that we're going to have a, a another discussion with President Xi. The president wants to do that, wants to keep those lines open. And at the appropriate time, we'll reach out and, uh, and we'll see if we can get a call on the schedule. All right, that's uh, Admiral John Kirby. I think if I'm right, he's the uh, NSA spokesperson and uh, saying that, yeah, Biden's going to get to calling Xi whenever he gets a chance. Meanwhile, she is pushing out everybody everywhere. And by everybody, I mean the United States, pushing him out of Russia, pushing him out of the Middle East. Gordon Chang is our guest. He's the author of The Great U.S.-China Tech War and The Coming Collapse of China. You could check him out at Gordon G. Chang on Twitter. Now, Gordon, um, what's your your take on on what's happening in the Middle East? Well, the, the thing is that Biden's policies, as we talked about, have opened the door in Saudi Arabia. 
But there's a couple other things. Um, Mm -hmm. We got to remember that President Trump had the most successful Middle East policies of any American president since FDR. And Biden, as it's turned out, is having the worst. And part of the reason is because Biden is actually supporting Chinese Middle East policy. And Chinese Middle East policy is directed to kicking the U.S. out. So this is just incredible. And part of it is because both China and um, the United States support Iran. And Iran, of course, um, believes the United States to be its mortal enemy. And at the same time, Biden is turning his back on our traditional friends in the Middle East, Saudi Arabia, as we discussed, but also the other five members of the Gulf Cooperation Council. Um, So this has been a really bad time for the United States in the Middle East. Yeah. Now, Gordon Chang, I want you to stand by. We've got a, a couple of questions for you. Let's see here. We got Todd in Atlanta, Georgia, WGKA. Todd, you're on with Gordon Chang and Rich Valdez. Welcome. Yes, uh, good evening, gentlemen. Um, Mr. Chang, my question is, um, over the past year, um, President Xi has seen how determined Ukrainian fighters and American weapons have killed uh, a quarter million Russian soldiers, and that's without an Air Force or a Navy. Uh, how does this uh, factor into President Xi, Xi and his war council in terms of a possible invasion of Taiwan? Thank yeah, you, That's Tom. a great question, um, and a lot of people would like to know the answer. Um, only Xi Jinping can really answer that for you. My sense is that although the resistance of the Ukrainian people has made Xi Jinping think twice, We also got to remember that um, President Biden's policies, which were disastrous in Afghanistan, the the catastrophic withdrawal, I think um, encouraged Xi Jinping to be more aggressive because he saw the complete failure of U.S. policy and the White House and the Pentagon in disarray. So while, you know, you're right, the the resistance of the Ukrainian people um, is a good thing in establishing deterrence. But I think there have been a lot of other bad things about the Ukraine war, which has convinced Xi Jinping that he's got a green light to go after Taiwan or some other victim. Thank you, Gordon. I appreciate that. We also have a, a call from Wilmington, Delaware, WDEL. Doc in Wilmington, Delaware. Doc, go right ahead. You're on with Gordon Chang and Rich Valdez. First of all, is it is it Mr. Chang or Dr. Chang? Is it Dr. Chang? No, I'm actually Gordon G. Chang and don't have a doctorate. But there is a Dr. Gordon Chang, but he's Dr. Gordon H. Chang. He's a Stanford professor, and he has very different views about China than I do. So he's the doctor, and I'm the uneducated one. <laughs> you're, the, you're the very educated one, Mr. Chang. i got to ask you a quick question, if I may, sir. How do you sure. think this internal dynamic in China will end? Will it end like Russia in 1991 under Yeltsin with a whipper not a bang, or will there be a violent revolution inside inside China to break down the regime? I like your thoughts, sir. Thank you, Doc. We know that the Chinese people are very unhappy with the party, and that was those extraordinary protests that began in October of last year and culminated after the November 24th fire in Urumqi, where we had demonstrations spontaneous across China, some of them for people calling for Xi Jinping and the Communist Party to step down. The party right now has been able to maintain an extremely effective, coercive uh, state. So the Chinese people, for the most part, are intimidated, as you'd expect. But every once in a while, the anger just bubbles up. 
And the problem for the Communist Party is that the economy right now is not very good, which means there's latent discontent. And there will be more protests against the party, as we've seen actually in recent weeks with the people um, who have taken to the streets because they're not getting their subsidies from the government, the teachers not getting paid their full salaries. This is a government that's running out of uh, local cash. Yeah, well put. And and Gordon Chang, I wanted to um, circle back a little bit to uh, some of the comments you've recently made about how Russia's also coming for, uh, excuse me, China's also coming for Russia, even though they're supporting them. You're saying they're they're poised to make a play on them as well. Well, there's uh, the territorial claim. Um, China uh, has been laying the groundwork for a Chinese territorial claim to Vladivostok and a good portion of Siberia. Now, China has some really bad history that it's propagating. Um, and I think that, you know, but, but Vladimir Putin understands that China ultimately has grand designs on breaking apart Russia. But in the meantime, which is really what we're concerned about, that's the future. But in the meantime, which is what we're concerned about, China and Russia are very close. They're working very closely together. I don't think that Vladimir Putin would still be in this war were it not for China's financial, diplomatic, propaganda, and lethal assistance. So, um, yeah, there's a problem down the road between China and Russia, but that is not something that's affecting policy today. Now, with respect to um, since we're talking about Russia, we constantly hear the Biden administration talk about, you know, the gap in the supply chain, the the impact of the supply chain. They, they continually blame covid and everything else, uh, despite the fact that it's inflation and whatnot uh, of their doing. But but I know that there's been impact that 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 you've seen we've seen come out of. Of, of Russia when it comes to energy supply and sales, uh, the uh, Belt and Road uh, Initiative also. Um, what, what's been the economic impact from your understanding uh, in, in Russia? Are they hurting as badly as we'd like to see them hurting, or do they have a lot more wherewithal? They have a lot more wherewithal um, because one of the things, you know, you'd asked about um, what is the effect of the Ukraine war on Taiwan. Well, one of the things is that uh, the imposition of Western sanctions um, has not been nearly as effective as it should have been and could have been right. with effective enforcement. Um, so this is a matter of political will. And there are a number of important countries that have not um, respected the sanctions. Uh, China is one of them. India is another one. And Turkey. Turkey is a NATO ally, but nonetheless has been uh, Vladimir Putin's good friend. And the U.S. has not gone after sanctions busters like it should have. So um, Russia is able to maintain the war with elevated commodity purchases to China, for instance. I mean, that's effectively financing the war and keeping Vladimir Putin, you know, fully stocked. So the answer is, unfortunately, the Russians are doing OK. That stinks. Now, Gordon Chang, uh, bring us up to speed on some of the other things that you're covering. I know you cover a, a lot of what's going on in Asia, and you do work with Gatestone and other places. Um, clue us in. Well, the important thing is the Chinese economy, because um, you know a robust economy would give Beijing the ability to um, implement its ambitions, which are really grand. But right now, the Chinese economy is not good at all. 
Last year, it did not grow at the 3.0% that Beijing reported. It probably contracted by 3%. This year, there will be some growth, but that's off a very low base, and the revival has been anemic. So I think that really right now, um, the important thing to look at is how that Chinese economy is doing. And um, that will determine whether Xi Jinping can get away with what he wants. Yep, makes a lot of sense to me. Now, let me just remind everybody that you're the author of a couple of different books here. Uh, Gordon Chang, he's the author of The Great U.S.-China Tech War and The Coming Collapse of China. You can follow Gordon Chang at Gordon G. Chang on Twitter. Gordon Chang, is there anywhere else that people can follow the work that you're doing? I archive my articles for free on my website, which is www.gordonchang.com. Uh, sorry, G-O-R-D-O-N-C-H-A-N-G dot com, uh, GordonChang.com. Perfect. All right, folks, check out GordonChang.com if you want to see some of these articles. I'm looking at a couple of them as we were talking. The Newsweek piece is fantastic. Uh, the Newsmax piece, excellent as well. Gordon Chang, my best to Lydia and to you, and thank you for joining us tonight. Well, thank you so much, Rich. I really appreciate it. Uh, it's always a pleasure. Take care, God bless, and we'll be back soon. America. Welcome back. It's Rich Valdez. Valdez with an S, by the way, on all of the social media. Feel free to chime in there as well as uh, following our our podcast. And you can check that out on our website, richvaldezamericaatnight.com. If you missed any of the interviews, you could go there and check out the archives and uh, download them or listen to them or stream it live. Or you can subscribe to the podcast to find out when there's new episodes. So make sure you check that out. Now, I want to talk about... Uh, the um, RNC, right? The RNC is making a, it looks like a, an investment in Wisconsin, uh, we, in particular because of their ground game. And this is all before a Supreme Court race that's coming up in Wisconsin. And some of you are thinking, why are we talking about Wisconsin? I'm going to tell you why. Because Wisconsin is a critical state that we have to win. And we saw that this was a uh, um, problematic in years past. So this is one of those things, you know, for the road to the White House, as well as just getting things done the right way, right? If we don't get them done the right way now, we're going to continue, in my opinion, to see things prolonged. But I'm no expert on Wisconsin, but we have a guest that is an expert on Wisconsin, and he's Brian Schimming, chairman of the Republican Party of Wisconsin. Brian Schimming, welcome to the program. Rick, thanks for having me. You bet. So let's talk a little bit about um, what's going on with your ground game and the um, investment that you guys are making in it. Well, we had a busy 2022, as as you know, with the reelection of Ron Johnson, who was the Democrats' top target oh, goodness, in the yes. country. They hit yeah, him so hard. Oh, Rick, $150 million into the state from the Democrats, the third party groups. He was the top target in the whole country. 
And the victory, even though we didn't get into the majority, uh, uh, will be important. Uh, Ron Johnson's victory will be important in 2024 because the Republicans, as you know, uh, the Democrats are defending twice as many seats as the Republicans in 2024. So we're hoping Ron will be in the majority after that. And uh, and we fire, uh, we fire uh, Tammy Baldwin as our other U.S. senators, so she's not going out to Washington to cancel out Ron Johnson's vote. So that was a big part of the election year. We also picked up a congressional seat here in Wisconsin. Derek Van Orden picked up a, a U.S. House seat the Democrats had had for 26 years. So that ground game that those two ran or what we're trying to replicate on an off-year race. And, you know, off-year races, people a lot of times will vote in presidential races or vote and or in gubernatorial races, but they won't vote in April off-year primaries. In our case, uh, our Supreme Court, we have a Supreme Court seat up. The basics are we we have a seven-member court in Wisconsin, 10-year terms, the longest term in the state, uh, is on the Supreme Court. And one of the conservatives is retiring. Uh, one of the four conservatives out of that seven-member court are retiring. And so it's not just one seat. It's the power on the court between conservatives and liberals. If we lose this seat on April 4th, the liberals will take over the Supreme Court here in Wisconsin in 25 years of conservative reform in this state uh, is very definitely threatened. You know, and it's interesting to see how the, the media is, is portraying this. And, you know, you've got so many stories from so many from The New York Times to Breitbart. Everybody's covering the Supreme Court race in Wisconsin. And it's fascinating because you don't typically see that, right, Chairman? You typically see, um, uh, uh, you know, local entities. But it seems that there's such national interest here because a lot of things hinge on Wisconsin. They really do. I When I speak, I was on the road for four days this weekend speaking at events literally coast to coast in the state. And uh, I always tell people was, I, I'm, that I'm going to screw up their grade school education. And that is uh, Wisconsin isn't mm-hmm. one of 50 states. It's one of five states. It, it really has gotten down to four or five, six states that are really important with respect to the presidential election. Wisconsin is one of them. As you know, Rick, we're hosting the Republican National Convention here next year. And and so and that's no accident that they're having the convention here in Wisconsin because it is a swing state. Uh, we've had 11 – get this, Rick. We've had 11 races in 22 years, 11 races in 22 years in Wisconsin, statewide races, that have been within 30,000 votes. Uh, Bush Jr., W., in 2000-2004, Trump in 16 and 20, uh, three Supreme Court races were within 30,000 votes in that time period. Uh, Governor Scott Walker lost re-election. Uh, by 30, the Republican Attorney General by 20, Ron Johnson won by 24, and then we had another statewide race within 7,000. So it's it's like lightning in a bottle, 11 times in 22 years, and this race could be that close. That's why that ground game issue that you mentioned is such an important one, because you can spend $100 million on TV, but if you don't get people out to vote, it doesn't matter. Yep, that makes a lot of sense to me. Folks, we're on with uh, Brian Schimming, chairman of the Republican Party in Wisconsin, and you can follow him 
at Brian Shimming with two M's on Twitter. More to come straight ahead. We're going to talk a little bit about the RNC's next convention in Wisconsin and your calls. 833-4-VALDEZ, 833-4-VALDEZ. We'll be right back. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of these social media. And uh, our guest is Brian Schimming, chairman of the Republican Party in Wisconsin. Uh, we're talking about how the Republican National Convention will be in Wisconsin. And we have a call from Shields, Michigan on KDKA. Kim, go right ahead. You're on with Brian Schimming and Rich Valdez. Hi, Rich and Brian. Thank you. Um, happy Monday. What, what I was happy Monday. Um, what I was calling about is um, it's in regards to the voting. I uh, by the way, I like Ron Johnson um, <laughs> from your yeah, state. He's and but what I, yeah, but what I was calling about is in the last presidential election, they said that Wisconsin had some of the strictest voting rules in the in the country however uh they discovered after the election that two hundred thousand people who were indefinitely confined and i didn't even know what that meant i had to ask a nurse relative of mine and she didn't know what that meant uh how did those they were all these were people that were i guess institutionalized or how did they vote did the caretakers fudge the votes. How did that work out that it threw the election? Because Wisconsin was only like, I don't know, 7,000 difference between the two. Do you know about that? Yeah, it, yeah you, your question is a good one because uh, I served on the recount team here in Wisconsin. And Rich, that's a, a really good question because it points out the exact need to make sure the court stays conservative. So the Democrat clerks in Milwaukee County and Dane County, the two biggest counties in Wisconsin, used um, uh, used that pandemic as an excuse to declare almost a quarter of a million people indefinitely con uh, confined. In other words, uh, unable to vote any other way so they'd be able to just vote even though they didn't have a reason not to be able to vote. So they just did it. They just made declarations. We had to take them to the Supreme Court to get that reversed. That would not happen again if the liberals take over the Supreme Court here in Wisconsin. That is an example of why we need a fair center-right court in this state, exactly what she said, because if, if the court had been the other way, we wouldn't have gotten that ruling. That Act 10 under Scott Walker, school choice, voter ID protections, uh, the protection of concealed carry in Wisconsin, Castle Doctrine, all of those issues will get revisited under a liberal court. 
Wow. Thank you, Kim, for your call. Now, that, that opens up the door to a lot of litigation. Uh, that could potentially change the entire state, uh, kind of like Colorado. Remember when Colorado used to be like a really red state, and then all of a sudden right. it just started changing things left and right. Now it's, you know, it's very, it's a reliably blue state. And, you know, to think that that could happen in Wisconsin, scary, Chairman. Well, I'll give you an example, Rich, and that is that uh, what, what is whoever gets elected in April doesn't get sworn in until August. What's going to happen, and the liberal candidate here, uh, Janet Protosewitz, has already said she would welcome a case uh, changing the state's congressional maps. She has challenged them publicly, and we believe unethically. We filed a complaint against her. But so what will happen is if she happens to get elected on April 4th, she'll be in office by August. Uh, Left-wing groups will bring a court challenge to the uh, current congressional maps. We now have a 6-2 Republican majority here in Wisconsin for the first time since the 1950s, picking up that one House seat. They will immediately bring a case to to challenge the current court maps. She will join the three other liberals throwing the current map out and rewriting it. That will cost at least two Republican seats in Wisconsin. And as you know, Rich, there's only a five-seat majority in the House in D.C. So the effects of this are not just here in Wisconsin. They go clear to the House of Representatives. Yep. Now let's uh, switch gears a little bit to some of the national issues um, that, you know, Ron Johnson's been pioneering and, and others. What's your your take on um, on on Joe Biden's latest scandals? <laughs> the, the fact that it seems like every member of his family is collecting a commission from China. Well, exactly. It is exactly why. Joe Biden came to campaign and Kamala Harris came to campaign against Ron Johnson to get him out of office because he would take over a committee chairmanship that would investigate all of these scandals uh, during the Biden administration. So it's <laughs> to your point, it's hard to know where to start with this administration. And it's part of the reason that Joe Biden is upside down in Wisconsin. Look, if the election is held tomorrow, Rich, Joe Biden loses Wisconsin. He's upside down to almost every candidate out there. Uh, um, you know, it's immediate problems for the Biden administration. So that's why this election and frankly, what's going to happen here next year in Wisconsin, this swing state is so important, uh, not only because Joe Biden would lose. We also have a U.S. Senate seat up with Tammy Baldwin. It's, it's actually historically remarkable how much is on the line here in Wisconsin, not only with these elections next year, but with this Supreme Court race. All right. And um, let everybody know how they could uh, keep in touch with the work that you're doing and um, how they could follow you. They can follow me on Twitter at Brian Schimming, B-R-I-A-N-S-C-H-I-M-M-I-N-G, or at WISGOP, W-I-S-G-O-P. Also, if people, I put a plea out to conservatives across the country. Uh, if you can, uh, we're getting outspent by the left here, as you know, tens of millions of dollars poured in already. Uh, so you can contribute at WISGOP.org or at Justice Kelly's website, JusticeDanielKelly.com. And uh, it's critical that we get help in the next 48 hours uh, because everything is on the line with just one Supreme Court seat. 
Crazy times, sir. Crazy time. Brian Schimming, chairman of the Republican Party in Wisconsin. I want to thank you for, for everything you're doing and for joining us tonight. Rich, thanks so much for having me. You bet. All right, folks, your calls and more straight ahead. We're going to talk about a little bit more about what's going on. I got a couple more clips of audio for you. And, of course, in the next hour, it's Open Phone America, Open Phones across the USA. And that means that you get to call in and weigh in and sound off. 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Welcome back. I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S. And I wanted to talk about this uh, clip of audio of Ron DeSantis. It's just, it was a little bit lengthy, you know, it's about a, a minute or two. And I wanted to make sure that uh, we didn't cut it too short so that we lose any context. But it's, it's interesting, I think, with what's happening with President Trump. Again, we've got somebody that is going to, you know, the the allegation or the the plan here of the prosecutor's office in New York City is to, and I have to say, and Washington Democrats, right? Because they took Washington prosecutors, D.C. prosecutors, and sent them to go work in the local prosecutor's office in New York. So uh, as local prosecutors. So it's clearly a concerted effort. But what what I think we can't lose sight of is the fact that nobody, nobody has ever gone to jail for this. Right. They, they've never charged somebody with this before. This is a relatively new charge that they kind of made and created to go after Trump. And um, Governor Ron DeSantis in Florida had a press conference today and uh, was asked about this. And I think his response was really telling. You know, again, he's not an announced uh, candidate for the presidency. He's rumored by many. I'm on the record saying I don't think he's running. And, and, I, and I really, you know, there's days where I think, yeah, he might throw in soon, but I don't. I don't think he is. And again, if that's my own naivete, I know there's commercials everywhere. That's fine. Uh, I think he's testing the water. He's laying the ground game. And, you know, there's a chance if 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 the front runner, Donald Trump, isn't around, then maybe he jumps in. Maybe. But I mean, from the ethics complaint that was recently filed by the campaign uh, against Governor DeSantis saying, look, hey, you were just reelected to be uh, governor. Stay in your lane. You know, or the laws that exist uh, that say as much, that's that's there as well. But I want you to hear this clip of audio of uh, Governor Ron DeSantis. So I've seen rumors swirl. I have not seen any facts uh, yet, and so I don't know what's going to happen. But I do know this. The, the Manhattan District Attorney is a Soros-funded prosecutor. And so he, like other Soros-funded prosecutors, they weaponize their office to impose a political agenda on society at the expense of the rule of law and public safety. He has downgraded over 50% of the felonies to misdemeanors. He says he doesn't want to even have jail time for the vast, vast majority of crimes. And what we've seen in Manhattan is we've seen the, sky, the, the crime rate go up and we've seen citizens become less safe. And so 
you're talking about this situation with, and look, I don't know what goes into paying hush money to a porn star to, to secure silence over some type of election affair. I just, I can't speak to that. But what I can speak to. It sounds like Governor DeSantis is taking a, a somewhat thinly veiled swipe at El Trompito Donaldus Magnus, the 45th president of these United States, saying, look, I don't know what it's like to do this, you know, these these payoffs, hush money with porn stars. And again, this term hush money, I really don't like. I don't think they use it for anybody except for Trump anymore. Right. It's, it's all the hush money. It seemed like it's some sort of a conspiratorial type of thing where, you know, you're doing something wrong. Um, yeah, I should be so lucky to give away 130K for someone to to participate in a non-disclosure agreement. Uh, uh, lamentably, I don't have that kind of money to give away. But um, that's the, the point here, is that uh, despite his kind of um, saying, look, this is wrong and this prosecutor is wrong, he's still taking a shot there. So uh, do we have enough time to finish this audio? No, probably not. All right. Well, anyway, you heard as much as you needed to hear. Maybe if we played the rest, we could play the rest later. Uh, but the point is, you know, DeSantis points out that these prosecutors that are handpicked by George Soros and funded by him, that they, they miss the mark, right? They, they miss the mark in many ways. They don't do their job. They don't enforce the law. They don't put people in jail. They ignore crime. They empower criminals. And that hurts people. It hurts the way people live every single day. And it's bad. So um, DeSantis says he's glad that he's the only governor in the country that actually removed one from office during his tenure. And I say kudos to you, sir, on that one. Don't go anywhere. More to come straight ahead. Open Phone America starts right now. Give us a call. 866-505-4626. From the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez. America's favorite late night talk program. Featuring interesting guests from around the world. And calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. What's up, America? Hi there. Good evening and welcome to the program. I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, and the phone number 833-482-5337. If you want to give us a call, I'm happy to speak with you. Of course, our legacy line is always open, 866-505-4626. I'm not trying to confuse you. They all go to the same place, uh, just letting you know you got some options here. And uh, we love to have your opinions live and national on our late night town hall forum. So feel free to give us a call. And uh, you can also chime in on social media at Rich Valdez with an S as well as listening live. If you're listening live on the radio, I commend you for doing that. If you're listening on a computer, great. If you're not using Rich Valdez America at night.com, make sure you check out the website. You could find all things related to the show there, as well as how to listen live, how to listen through podcasts and how you can just stream it right from there uh, in terms of uh, old episodes and archives and everything's there listed for you. Rich Valdez America at night. So check that out. Now, 
I, I want to talk about a couple of things in uh, in this open phone America time that we have tonight and get your opinions on lots of things. Uh, but I want to bring up a couple of things, right? Because there's a few things that I think are worthy of note. And I won't be able to get to all of these, so I'm not going to read them all. But there's a few of them here. Listen to this. Idaho is moving forward with the death by firing squad option. Now, I know a lot of you are thinking, oh, my goodness, this is great. This is we've been wanting this. We need this in Washington, D.C. Yeah. Yeah. Listen, good luck. Uh, I don't know if it's going to happen there, but I know it is happening in in Idaho. And uh, we've got a report from KTVB in Boise, Idaho. Listen to this. Idaho lawmakers have sent a bill to the governor's desk that would add the firing squad as a secondary method of execution in the state of Idaho. Long story short for you, Idaho has had a very difficult time getting the drugs needed to do a lethal injection, and Idaho isn't alone in that. Pharmaceutical companies no longer want their products used for the death penalty. So Idaho has a death row inmate that they tried to put to death but continue to have issues getting the chemicals. So... In comes House Bill 186, and it is one signature away from being law in the state of Idaho. Governor Brad Little can sign it as soon as this week, and the idea, it already passed the House. So lawmakers knew today that this was the final debate on the topic, adding the firing squad. Supporters say this is about carrying out law and order. Critics of the idea question the consequences. I've seen the aftermath of shootings, and uh, it's psychologically damaging to anybody who witnesses it, anybody who has a hand in it, anybody who plays a role in the, the aftermath and the cleanup and all of the logistics involved, it's, in a word, brutal. And the use of the firing squad, in my opinion, is uh, beneath the dignity of the state of Idaho. Um, there are some who have argued, you know, let's just find another method. Let's come up with something. There are other drugs that we can use. We are constrained and restrained, whether we like it or not by limited methods of carrying out this policy. And this is one that we know will withstand all of the legal machinations that will continue to be thrown at the policy rather than the method. So final tally in the Idaho Senate for you this afternoon, 24 to 11, the bill passed. They are not playing in Idaho. How does the saying go? Uh... Fool around and find out, right? That's definitely what's going on. Now, they're going to put this thing back into place because these people in big pharma say, we're not giving you drugs anymore for lethal injections. Now, this is not necessarily a debate over should we have the death penalty or not. This is more so a conversation about what the uh, gentleman in the beginning said, that this was very traumatic and whatnot. And I've seen uh, more than one person die like literally next to me. And, and it is a very traumatic experience and I, and they weren't shot. Uh, my brothers were in law enforcement and I know uh, a couple of them have, have shot people. Um, one of them fatally. And, um, that it did, it weighed heavily upon him afterwards. So, um, I, I gotta say that's a real thing too. Something to take in consideration. You show up at work every day and every day you get to watch a bunch of people get shot, you know, tied to stakes or, in one of those ditches or however they do the firing squad. But either way, not not uh, ideal, right, at least for this day and age. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe, you know, people listening, Rich, stop being a wuss. You're being a wuss. We need the firing squads. exactly what we need. Uh, perhaps. I, 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 I wouldn't oppose it, but uh, I just it seems a little bit excessive to me. I don't know. You guys let me know uh, what your thoughts are. Let's um, check in with our buddy Frank in Evergreen, Montana. Frank, what's up? You're on with Rich Valdez. Go right ahead. 
Hi, I wanted to talk about automobiles of the future. And uh, Well, before you get into that, let me ask you, what do you think about this firing squad stuff? Oh, I don't know. I'd, if you're talking about that uh, uh, psychologist who killed those girls with the knives over there at that at Moscow University, I would think it'd be best to drop him off of that Hell's Canyon where uh, Evil Knievel jumped his motorcycle stunt and, and put him on a bungee strap, you know, in a wheelchair and uh, with a weak band, you know. And see if it hits How kind of you. And tell me, what's your thought about automobiles? Oh, uh, first off, I think it's a it's going to ruin Russia's economy as well as China's economy. Uh, you know, I, I'm looking back. Are you at talking the, about like electric vehicles? Yeah. Anyway, the uh, remember back in the fifties, you used to have a commercial for Texaco. You can trust. I was born in the seventies, but start. I'll take your word for it. Yeah. So here, you know, here's the comrades with that same of the Communist Party with the same little uh, jingle, uh, you trust your car to the man who wears the star. You know, um, you know <laughs> when the artificial intelligence takes over these automobiles, you'll have to either think in Chinese or Russian to drive them. And uh, yeah, how many That's Americans... Tough. The only thing I know how to do in Chinese is eat. I'll be in bad shape. Yeah, yeah. well, anyway, I, would, I wouldn't drive one. Uh, the Russians... Uh, a light truck. It's only a half ton or probably a quarter ton truck, but the battery weighs a half a ton, a lithium battery. Wow. I mean, what, what a joke. I mean, it's like a Yugo on uh, skates, you know. just uh, <laughs> Frank, you always have the best analogies. Thanks for your call. I appreciate it. Folks, there is more to come straight ahead. Your calls and more are coming right up. 833, the number 4 Valdez, 8334 Valdez. This is America night with rich valdez All right, let's keep this thing going. And I'm looking at this uh, sort of like a follow-up piece here in the Idaho Capital Sun. Citing staffing issues and political climate, North Idaho Hospital will no longer deliver babies. Sandpoint's Bonner General Health made the announcement Friday. The nearest hospital for delivering babies will now be one hour away. Sorry, folks. It's going to take you a little bit of a ride to have that baby. But interesting, right? So they're going from from lethal injection to firing squads and from having babies to having no babies. Uh, this is interesting, right? It's interesting when a hospital stops delivering babies. You'd think that's one of their main gigs because you can't really do it at home. I mean, of course you can. There's a lot of people that hire midwives and whatnot. But I mean, I would say most children are not born at home, right? And if I'm wrong, please correct me. But... Uh, I, it's my understanding. I think most kids are born in a hospital and most people plan to have their kids born in a hospital and they might be very, very healthy, even healthier if they're born through a mid midwife at home. Uh, I'm not putting down the midwifery in any way. 
I'm just saying, again, I'm a kid from New York, so I've never seen that, right? I've never seen anybody do the home birth thing. So, <clears throat> you know, maybe that's uh, on me. But interesting, to say the least, that that's what's going on here. All right, let's, uh, let's go to the phones. We've got calls from the Ozarks. We've got calls from Pittsburgh and Dallas as well. Let's go to Dallas. Uh, Matt in Dallas, K-L-I-F. Go right ahead, sir. Oh, just a quick comment, Rich. Um, I support the firing squad because I just find it very ironic that uh, pharmaceuticals are not able to make the drugs for lethal injections, but they're able to make and support the drugs necessary for over-the-counter abortions for millions of people. And so until they uh, iron out the uh, dichotomy there, I guess uh, I'm all for the bullet. Yeah, isn't that something? And, and, you know, I just think how, why, why would you be against, um, you know, you've manufactured these lethal injections for Lord knows how long. Why now of all times? I mean, is really this, this movement, um, so strong amongst those on the left? I, I don't, I didn't think it was, but perhaps I'm wrong, but thank you, Matt. I appreciate it. Good call. Uh, let's continue. Let's see where we're going here. Let's go from there to Jim in the Ozarks. Go right ahead, sir. K-R-M-S. That's right. So, you know, maybe you seem to have a distaste for the firing squad, and I was thinking why that might be. Uh, is, it, is it seem more violent uh, way to be uh, dispatched to you versus just a non-event of the uh, not more violent for the person that was being killed more violent for you know everybody that had to watch yes correct yeah it is a it is a more brutal way i think uh uh to be um put to death versus just uh, fall asleep and right. not much not much uh effort on anybody's part really on that hey and on the idaho thing uh yeah I was just on the Idaho uh, uh, hospital thing. Uh, there may be more babies born on the road now driving to the hospital than there will be either at home or in the hospital. <laughs> very clever and probably very true. You're right with it being an hour away. That's interesting. Yeah, it's going to be a whole lot of, hey, where are we born? I was born on the shoulder. Exit 42, mile marker 10. <laughs> That's crazy. Wow. So now, um, yeah, I, I think, uh, listen, I... I People do what they want to do, right? And I believe in states' rights. If they want to use uh, firing squads, let them use firing squads. Uh, I, but I just feel like, you know, based on the article and the um, the news report that we played, it just sounded to me like everybody that was ancillary in those things, you know, not the shooter or, you know, not, not the bad guy, but I'll, everybody else seems to be, um, you know, paying the price of these, you know, re- I'm going to say rougher uh, type of execution. So those are my thoughts, Jim. What do you think? Even there's even five, I think five riflemen, rifle persons, uh, and then one of them has a blank, I believe. So uh, I'll see. So everybody uh, can feel like they were the that guy. <laughs> yeah. They, no, they nobody knows who like, got the blanks. Uh, exactly. You know. Well, maybe it wasn't mine. You know. But uh, still, there's uh, four people there that that are pulling the trigger versus just one that's, uh, you know, push the button for the uh, lethal injection. You're right. It does kind of spread it around a little bit. 
Yeah, it sounds rough. And I'm thinking it's rough for the people who are just, you know, around and just happen to be there and have to watch that go down. But, you know, whatever. You know, interesting. It's an interesting thought. And, uh, maybe I'll, I'll do some YouTubing to see, you know, what, what that actually looks like today in, in a modern-day society. Thanks for the call, Jim. I appreciate it. Big shout-out to everybody on KRMS. Let's uh, continue with your calls. And let's go to Farentino in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, KDKA. Go right ahead, sir. Hi, Farentino, brother, here. I'm educating you on this thing. I don't understand. I, you know, just got, uh, I guess, had a little medical thing done. They give me that uh, stuff that puts me out. And well, if they put people out like that, Rick. What, what do you mean? You know, what, what's no putting people, you out? You know, as anesthetics. You know, when you go to get an operation, you know, you're oh, you I see. the anesthetics. So you're completely out of it uh, altogether. And then um, uh, why is that such a big deal? They're worried about cruel and unusual punishment. To, is that what they're worried about? I mean, when they put that under, anything could happen to you. You wouldn't know it. I mean, Yeah, no, well, I, I think, first of all, I, I don't think they give you um, anesthesia to for lethal injections. Um, they give you something that makes you OD and die. But the, I think the, the issue here is that these pharmacy companies, or pharmaceutical companies, rather, They've decided to take a different approach to things, and uh, they don't want to, for I think social reasons, don't want to be involved in the death penalty, saying, you know, we're not going to provide this. Um, So I think that's why they're bailing out and trying to find these alternative options. And, uh, yeah, I agree with you, though. I think it's it's, it's silly, and it's probably poorly thought out. you know, from various perspectives, everybody should probably reevaluate it one way or another. But it doesn't seem to be uh, flying straight there. Now, you're saying you think this is cruel and unusual punishment? No, no, I'm saying that it isn't. And I mean, when they, if they give you anesthetics to put you under the anesthetics, then put give you the poison that kills you, you would never know. There wouldn't be any pain whatsoever. Right. But, uh, I guess yeah. as you said, the reasons is that pharmaceutical companies are against the death penalty. I'm all for the death penalty. Um, I think that um, uh, yeah, I, I think it should be uh, you know done. Um, uh, make sure you know make sure the guy's guilty, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, uh, well, some of these crimes that these people commit, my goodness gracious! Right, right. I, I think I, if you're killing people, you're taking life. Somebody probably ought to come along and take your life. But uh, thank you, Farentino. I appreciate it. Uh, we will continue with your calls in a moment. I just wanted to get uh, to tease a couple more of these stories because I think they're interesting here. <clears throat> so we talked about that one. We talked about this one. Uh, this one's a little dark. I don't want to get into that. Uh, but I do want to get into uh, this one here. The United States was ranked, guess what? Well, maybe we'll, we'll leave off on that. Maybe you can call in and guess. Uh, in the top... 20, I'm going to say, but what number in the top 20 do you think the United States ranks in terms of the happiest countries? So where in the top 20 happiest countries does the United States fall? Interesting. Give me a call. I'd love to know your thoughts on that one. And I've got the answer. I'm going to give it to you when we come back. 833-482-5337. This is going to be interesting because I think that most people won't get this right unless they're like Googling or whatever. I, I can't imagine how that happened. Um, you know, how we became that number. But fascinating, nonetheless. Fascinating. All right, let me see what we've got here. 
because I want to get a couple of calls on what they think the number is before we actually give you the number. Let me see. Well, probably not enough time for a... We'll get to the calls from Ohio and, and South Carolina right after the break. Uh, but I would like to to get a sense. Let me see here. Where is this? All right, so I will give you a clue. In that top 20 number, the United States actually has inched its way up. So now you've got a clue. Let me know what you think that number is. It's funny. While I'm looking at that, they played this video of Mitch McConnell, who I always call him the turtle because I feel like he, he kind of resembles one in a, in a cartoonish kind of way. And, and anyway, he talks like this. He, kinda, he sounds like that, that big rooster from the cartoons back in the days. Foghorn, Leghorn, I believe his name was. I, I feel like that's the, uh, the McConnell vibe. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. Anyway, give us a call. 833-482-5337. The United States is in the top 20 of happiest countries. What number in the top 20 are we? I'm curious to know your thoughts. 833-4-VALDEZ or online 8... Uh, no, it's not 8 nothing. It's at Rich Valdez. At Rich Valdez with an S on all of the social media. We'll be right back. America, welcome back. We're in the second half. Give us a call, 833-4-VALDEZ. It's America's late night town hall, America at Night, with me, Rich Valdez. Happy to be here with you on the Westwood One Radio Network. And, you know, Open Phone America, this last hour of the program, started by Larry King back in 1978, continued by Jim Bohannon for uh, another three decades. And here we are today continuing it with uh, you and I. And I love the vibe of, of... Open Phone America, where you guys get to chime in. So give us a call, 833-482-5337, the number four, Valdez. And uh, let's see, let's go to uh, our buddy Paul, WHIZ in Ohio. Go right ahead, sir. Hey, good evening, uh, Rich. Hey, yeah, brother. I'll probably take some flack. Hey, I'll probably take some flack from you for this. But, you know, from what I heard, you were saying that maybe the pharmaceutical companies and so forth don't want to give them the drugs. But I got a solution for them. Why don't mm. they just go down the border and get them some fentanyl? You know, that take <laughs> care of them pretty quick, wouldn't it? Yeah. I mean, you um, know, honestly, uh, in in all reality, it's probably a painless way to go because you know those people are super high, and that's kind of what they do in hospice with people, right? They give them morphine, um, which is like you know a derivative of uh, her- of heroin or whatever. It's like one of those type of uh, opiates. That, you know, kind of knocks you out, makes you feel happy and special and whatever. Um, And then you don't feel anything at all. So, yeah, interesting point. You know, maybe fentanyl is the way to go. (laughs) I don't know. Uh, But a very interesting um, addition to the conversation. That's not one I've heard before and not even anything that's ever crossed my mind before. 
Um, but, you know, Matt, what do you think about this firing squad? Do you think it's a little bit rough for like the people that are, are not doing the shooting? You know, let's say the people tying the bow ties um, in, um, you know, on their way to work, getting all preppy. And then, uh, you know, they're not there to to shoot anybody. They are just, you know, working, pushing paper and whatnot. And then all of a sudden, you know, they have to watch these uh, these people getting shot. I think it's a little rough. Yes, and I, I don't think that a lot of people would like to see that. Now, I seen a guy get shot one time. But all, the only thing that happened in that case was the guy shot him and boom, he just went down. I mean, it wasn't all this falling all over the place and gasping for yeah. air. He just shot him and he went down. But I don't think a lot of people would like to see that. I know I wouldn't want my wife or my children or anything to have to see somebody executed on TV. Um, myself, I can hate on it, but I just don't think that'd be a good thing. But that was kind of a tongue-in-cheek thing there. But, yeah. I mean, you know, if they don't want to do it, you know. you No, listen, I know it was tongue-in-cheek, but it, it is an interesting take. It's like we're confiscating all of this fentanyl. That might be the, the answer for the, you know, for the jails that do uh, allow that. Uh, to say, hey, look, use this. We've heard if you, you know, a little bit goes a long way. Because I think we do know that a little bit of fentanyl can, can really hurt people and kill them. Uh, Paul, thanks for your call, brother. I appreciate it. Let us continue. Matt, near Moorhead City, North Carolina, WTKF. Matt, welcome. You're on with Rich Valdez. Go right ahead. Hey, Rich. How are you doing today, uh, tonight? Brother, happy Monday. Thank God. Another week. Very good. Um, what I wanted to comment on, it was uh, two quick points, if you will. Sure. The, the guess of how America rates between 1 and 20 happiest countries in the world? Yes, sir. That was a great idea. I'm going to go 15. What do you think? <laughs> ding, ding, ding. You win. I don't know what I can give you. Um, I, I wish I had a prize to give you. If, if, if they'll let me give you one, I will give you one. But, um, yes, you're right. The United States has inched its way up to 15th on the list of happiest countries. And uh, apparently it was it was lower. <laughs> so it's now uh, w- making its way up the list. And uh, these findings are based on data from more than 150 countries. Overall, the global average of life evaluation throughout the pandemic years ranked just as high as those measured before the pandemic. How about that? That's interesting, right? Because I know people were miserable during the pandemic. I know I was. There was um, fewer places to eat, fewer places to go, and um, not a good thing in my opinion. Matt? Yes, sir. Uh, I'm tired of the uh, these Democrats attacking Trump. I might have already said that. I'm sorry. Yeah, well, what do you say in terms of the um, the indictment? Oh, it's just nonstop for years now. You know about that. Oh, sure. Yeah, general sense. Yeah, I mean that's it's kind of like what they live for, right? <laughs> this is the their new sport. Some people say, hey, "I do deer." I get, no, no, no. I, I, I attack. I hunt Trump, and it's unfortunate, but that's a real thing. These people are out to get him, and it seems like they're never going to stop until they get him. And he he always figures out a way to 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 you know get away, and good for him because he's not really getting away from anything. He's just kind of like living his life, um, dodging the bullets that they've got for him. So, yeah, interesting, interesting scenario. I think that um, there might be a little uh, upset here. You know, maybe there's a little something up his sleeve, but you never know. All of my uh, lawyer buddies that I've, you know, had a chance to talk to, they're all telling me, I don't know, I don't know, but 
it'll probably happen. So we shall see how that plays out because I just don't know. Matt, thank you so much for your call and for your insight. And um, we're going to continue with the rest of your calls straight ahead. Don't go anywhere, though. Give us a call, 833-482-5337. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. It's me, Rich Valdez, and I want to go to Walla Walla, Washington, KSPT, and check in with our friend Linda. Linda, welcome. You're on with Rich Valdez. Go right ahead. Well, thank you. Um, I wanted to comment on your interest in the firing squad. Um, long time ago, I'm an old lady, <laughs> I hmm. was um, studying religions. I wanted to study mine as well as everybody else's to find out where we were at. I read about the Mormons, and it always struck me as a peculiar um, incident I read about that they had a belief that um, if a person committed um, a uh, heinous act, that it was up to them to spill that person's blood. There was a committee that would go to the person's house at night, and they would be waiting for him, the person that was uh, to be gathered. And they would go with them, and the men would um, have a firing squad ready, and that person was executed. Wow. Um, I never heard about this. This is some pretty heavy-duty stuff. Well, I was into some pretty heavy-duty studying. Um, one of the things I know about Idaho, I understand that Boise is uh, heavily Mormon populated. I am not uh, going to connect the two. Um, well, too late. You just did. <laughs> At least for me, you did. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to have to sit there and uh, do a whole bunch of research to figure out if, if there was a connection there, if the, the cultural... You know, the impact of, of cultural influence played a role in that, which may likely have, maybe, maybe it didn't. But uh, it's fascinating to think that that's how people are making decisions and how they're moving about. Very, very interesting. Thank you, Linda, for um, the call. KSPT, Walla Walla, Washington. I appreciate it. Let's go to Gary in Galloway, New Jersey, W-O-N-D. Gary, go right ahead. Yeah, hi. Uh, you know, I... About the Trump arrest, uh, at first I, I doubted that you know he would be handcuffed and and you know I I figured it would be you know more uh, that they just escort him in being you know. And now you've changed your mind. Yeah, because I remembered uh, back in nineteen. 87 with uh, evangelist Jim Baker. He was a famous evangelist. And, yeah, Jim uh, and Tammy Faye Baker. She had a lot of makeup. I remember them. 
Yeah. <laughs> and uh, because of the PTL scandal, Jim Baker was arrested like uh, a regular criminal. You know, was, he was hiding under his lawyer's couch, I think, and, and the, the feds came in and arrested him. He was handcuffed and uh, and, and then... Uh, and, you know, it was really I kind of felt bad for him because, it, you know, it, it was so- right now I, I get it. And it's it's interesting because it seems to me that, again, I share that thought with you. I think if they were going to bring charges against Trump, they were going to do it in the most discreet way, using the most discretion uh, and um, being very, you know, kind of recept- uh, respectful of the office of the presidency. But it seems like that's not the case. Like they really want to ridicule him per se. They really want to make it a, a challenge. So we'll see how it goes. Um, I tend to think that he's going to walk into some office. They're going to make him take a picture. They're going to take some fingerprints. He's going to have to sign a paper or two. And then, you know, from there, I don't know where it goes. I don't think they're going to jail the guy. But um, you would expect a level of um, um, professionalism, uh, collegiality, that type of thing that I don't know that we're getting or we're seeing enough of. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. But we're going to continue with your calls straight ahead. So don't go anywhere. 833-482-5337. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. So while Americans are number 15, uh, the comparison with the rest of the world was pretty interesting. Uh, Let's see here. The changes in the rankings that have taken place have been continuations of longer term trends, such as the increases seen in the rankings in the three Baltic countries, uh, Lithuania, Estonia and Latvia. And they've all climbed in recent years. Finland landed the top spot as the world's happiest country for the sixth year in a row. It was followed by Denmark and Iceland, respectively. Now, I'm sure somebody's going to say, and these are the countries that have socialism and they've got this and they've got that. There's a lot of things that they have. Uh, You'd be so surprised about what goes on in Denmark. Denmark. Anyway, that's my uh, Bernie Sanders impression. Um, So that's the story uh, with with that. And Luxembourg, I know you guys are all... um, concerned here. Luxembourg fell from sixth to ninth place overall. So that's where we are. Let's go to uh, WGDJ, Albany, New York. Linda, welcome to the program. You're on with Rich Valdez. Go right ahead. Thank you for taking my call. uh, I was glad to hear we're at least up uh, in the rank uh, considering the freedoms that we have in this country. But um, the one thing I was mainly calling about was the death penalties. Um, <clears throat> I think with some exceptions, life in prison, but there are exceptions, and one of them would be if a prisoner harms or kills one of the guards, there needs to be the death penalty understood so they will, it will be protection for the guards. 
Now, what if the, the prisoner was in jail for, for killing someone else? Um, well, basically life in prison, but... Um, so, gotcha. They kill person A, and then they get life in prison, but if they kill a prison guard, then they get the death penalty, right? Yes, because there definitely is an understanding there's no control over them. Understood. All right. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Um, appreciate the um, listenership as well from WGDJ up in Albany, New York area. And I want to continue. Let's go to Connecticut, Richfield, Connecticut, WLAD. Uh, Gary, go right ahead. What's on your mind? You're on with Rich Valdez. Welcome. Hi, Mr. Valdez. Uh, I wanted to Hi. offer a suggestion. Hi. I wanted to offer a suggestion, uh, an alternative to the uh, firing squad idea. Um, <clears throat> instead of using a firing squad, which uh, which means that the uh, the guys uh, doing the shooting end up probably with a guilty conscience and you know having a, a tough issue to rest, wrestle with psychologically. How sure. about you just? Um, uh, uh, you, you just gather up like maybe 10 of those guys, uh, uh, 10 good candidates for the, uh, the mm -hmm. death penalty, put them in a little room, give them each a pistol, and uh, wait until uh, there's been uh, 10 shots fired, however many uh, guys go in. Um, and then um, at, after, say, five or 10 minutes, if, if there's one guy you know, still standing, he gets life, life imprisonment. Wow, that was tough. Uh, I would hate for you to be the judge in my case, <laughs> but uh, I get what you're saying. Yeah, it's not a process of elimination type of Russian roulette. Sounds a little crazy to me, uh, but um, I understand, and I'm, I'm, I'm not interested. I don't want to be that guy that, that gets holding the, the short end of the stick or the, uh, the last straw, if you will. Uh, we'll continue. Thank you for your call, Gary, by the way. I appreciate it. Let's see, where are we going here? Uh, let's go to Sebring, Florida, WWTK. Andrew, go right ahead, sir. Hey, Rich. I just wanted you guys to know that back home in Jamaica, they still do the firing squad. Get out, really? There's a great movie called uh, The Harder They Come, and there's a scene in that movie that, that um, shows it. And it's, uh, it's really graphic. It gives a great sense of <laughs> actually being there for it. Wow. That's pretty nuts. Now, I want to switch gears a little bit uh, because I love uh, something from Jamaica. It's called Blue Mountain Coffee. Have you ever tried that? Absolutely. I grew up on that stuff. We didn't know what it was as children. We drank it all the time and took it for granted. But now it's a different story. That stuff is like upwards of 60, 60 bucks plus a pound right yep. now. When I found Blue Mountain, it was about $40 a pound as many years ago. And... Um, I had some friends that, you know, were Jamaican and would always bring back these um, these bags of it. Like, I think it was like five pound bags. And uh, and they were like five dollars in Jamaica. But once they got here, import tax, whatever and whatnot, they, the, the price shot up dramatically to, you know, 40, 44 dollars a pound. And, and I thought, my goodness, I was always finding a new friend from Jamaica. I'm like, hey, are you going back home? <laughs> if you're going back home, here, here, let me give you $20. <laughs> and I would make sure that they brought me back coffee. I mean, this is one of the most phenomenal 
uh, brews you know I've ever tasted. So I'm, I'm always curious whenever I meet anybody to see if you know if they're also uh, avid drinkers of Jamaica Blue Mountain coffee. That stuff it just is magic. Awesome, awesome. I'm moving to Hawaii soon to grow Kona coffee. Kona. So I'm just, yeah. Um, Kona's just as expensive. <laughs> very, yeah, super expensive. I can't wait to get out there and see what it's like, though. Awesome, brother. And a uh, big shout-out to everybody in Sebring, Florida on WWTK. All right, my man. Talk soon. Let's go to Robert in Charleston, South Carolina, WTMA. Go right ahead, sir. You're on with Rich Valdez. Welcome. Hi, Rich. Thank you very much. Uh, yes, Rich, I, I wasn't clear on that. Did you say that the problem is the the person who's applying the 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 chemical or, or the injection or the the shotgun or the, or the or the manufacturer of the chemical or whatever it is that's behind it? Because a lot yeah, of no, the manufacturer said they don't want to be a party to it anymore, so they're no longer producing the 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 drug for the lethal injection. Okay. Well, what about something like ether? Because you remember the case of Johnny Gosh, the kid who was kidnapped when he was delivering the newspapers in East Des Moines, Iowa. On the now, what happened with him? Quickly. Well, they they threw him. They pulled him into a car and then put some chemical on his face with that uh, was wrapped in a cloth and knocked him out. Yeah, I'm not familiar with that one. We'll have to have our producers in the studio take a look at it. But thanks for your call. Robert in Charleston, South Carolina, WTMA. Big shout out to everybody there. Take care. Good night and God bless. Hasta la próxima. We're going to do it again tomorrow. We got President Trump's lawyer joining us tomorrow, at least scheduled to. Uh, so uh, Alina Haba will join us. The Ed Milet Show showcases the greatest peak performers sharing their journey, knowledge, and thought leadership. This is one of the all-time best pieces of advice ever given on the show. Actor Rain Wilson. The number one thing that psychologists point to with young people of why they are struggling so much in this mental health epidemic is they don't have resilience. So how do you build resilience if you don't understand suffering itself? The Ed Milet Show is available on YouTube or wherever you listen.